Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us this evening. And we have Ben Higgins with us. Ben, first of all, thank you for being willing to be so honest and transparent with us tonight to share your story. I, I'm really thankful to be here, honestly. And, and I, I probably will explain why I am uh, as we go about tonight, but it's a great opportunity. So, um, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. And, you know, Ben, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on is because for someone like yourself who is in the limelight, many people remember you from the 20th season of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. And for you to be able to share your story, we think has so much impact. And I know for a long time, you didn't talk about this for years. Mm -hmm. You didn't talk about your struggles. Tell me why this is the time that you felt you should be sharing your story. Mm. Well, there's a lot to that. I think the first thing is um, the show, honestly, and, and a lot of this, it won't have to do with The Bachelor because I know there's people out there who don't watch it and probably could care less about it. I get that. But The Bachelor gave me a, a an insight into what vulnerability can do when done in an appropriate way. Uh, sharing things that I'd never shared before, especially on national television, kind of opened me up to a whole new world. And, and as I shared more and more about my life and my insecurities, it actually became the thing that connected me to, with others, that people reached out and said, hey, I've, I feel unlovable, or I feel like the outsider looking in, or I struggle with uh, panic attacks. And so that gave me a new seated uh, kind of confidence in being vulnerable. And then I knew there was one other thing that was really sitting there on my heart that I never shared, like you said, with family, with friends, was my struggle with addiction and, and not just the addiction piece, but my struggle on what, where, where the addiction came from. Uh, and as I started writing alone in plain sight, I wanted this to be a book that was raw, that could connect people that would allow the outsider, the person hurting to feel less alone. And how could I do that with my story? If I wasn't going to share the one thing that I was still hiding, it's not mm -hmm. easy. It's really weird. And to close this thought, you know, the weirdest part about this book so far for me is this is something I'd never talked about, uh, mm -hmm. ever. And I write a book and now I do this is a different tonight. This is a safe space. I'm, I'm pretty happy to be here, but eight interviews a day, you know, since yeah. the book launch talking about the book and every time this is brought up. And so there's some, one thing that like was most closed in inside of me is now the thing that I talk about the most. And it's, it's weird because I was just telling my buddy today, it almost feels like I'm desensitizing myself to it. And so tonight's special because I prayed before this, like I'm sitting here going, I, I really want tonight to be, to go back to the emotion of what it is and not just give my good old speech, uh, you know, to answer some nice questions that an interviewer has to ask. No, I think that's really powerful. And, you know, you said in terms of just being willing to be vulnerable, let's go back to when this all started for you. Mm -hmm. When did you first realize that you had, were struggling with an addiction to prescription painkillers? Mm -hmm. I know that that was what you were dealing with, but what was it that let you say something is not right? Well, yeah. So um, when I realized that something was not right, was uh, it was I would say more of a, a a slow fade. I was recognizing that I was always hiding something from somebody. I think that was the first sign to me is I was always strategically prepping in my mind on how I could hide whatever it was. Maybe I was carrying something on me, or maybe I was going to go find it, or maybe maybe I was high at the time and I didn't want anybody to know. Like I was always hiding something. And for a while, I was okay with it. Like for a while, that wasn't even a problem mentally. I, it was just something I was doing. But then over time, um, as I started to feel a ton of depression, a ton 
of um, anxiousness around where was I going to find uh, my the next pill? When I was going to find the next bottle? And and then doing that around friends and family who love me, um, it started to click. And then there was a final day. Uh, I I took pills from my my grandfather, uh, mm-hmm. and I remember the moment. And um, I I did, and it and I remember doing it, and 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 walking out. And I just remember this feeling of like, how, who are you? Like, w- w- what is this about? Why are you still doing this? And you, you're taking something from somebody that needs it and somebody that you love. And that was, I think, the start of me starting to say, I need to start at least confronting it. Um, finally, uh, it's a weird moment in my life where I was uh, laying in bed um, for probably 24 hours straight. And I went into the bathroom. I don't know if anybody out there watching this has this experience. This could be unique to me. I don't, I don't know, but it's my story. And I went into the bathroom and I looked at myself in the eyes and I don't know if anybody's ever done this. It's a really weird thing to do even Mm -hmm. today as I do it, but I looked at myself in the eyes and just this like calming, but also this like fire inside of me said, Ben, you're not the man you ever dreamed you could be. And at that moment is when I officially decided I needed to get help. And so that's when I started telling my friends, I started telling my family um, select friends, um, and obviously my close family, but it's when I started to become the thing that I knew I needed to rid myself of, or at least try to heal from. How old were you been at this point? Because I think it's really important to help people realize that for you, this started after in high school, you were, Mm -hmm. you had a knee injury or you had an injury and you had surgery. And so you got it initially legitimately for pain. Definitely. Yeah. And, and there's a little bit more to the story that didn't get in the book. I, when I was young, and this is maybe a good note for any parents out there, maybe any, any kids that are watching this, like when I was a sophomore, we would, um, in high school, we would, uh, experiment, right? Like we would find, um, at at the time, and I don't know if I'm like, like tramadol, um, and we would take a a bunch of those and, and, but then it's kind of stopped. It wasn't really a thing in my life consistently, uh, after that. And then it was, yeah, it was, uh, my junior year of high school, I was, uh, playing football, uh, sports was my identity. I'm six, four. It was a thing I was going to go to college to do. It was the thing I'd done my whole life. It was the thing that brought me the most joy. And I was rolling out and I threw a pass. A guy hit my knee. It blew my knee apart. And at that moment, I remember the moment it's weird. And, and, um, there's so much to the story, but like I was sitting in the locker room and my knee had like dislocated. And so the mm-hmm. doctor pops it back in. It was this loud pop and it was this enormous amount of pain. And I really, like it hit me at that moment that I was never going to play sports the same way again. Yeah. For some, you're right. You're like, oh, living in your gold, golden years, like your high school years, whatever. That's not important. But for me, that was a turning moment where I realized my identity or the thing that I had always counted on was going to be taken away. So then I had surgery. Then I was given the, the, the medication. And, and as I was taking the medication, I was already struggling with this lack of identity that my mm-hmm. identity was taken away. And when I took the medication, I, I remember it, it being a numbing moment for me. Like it, when mm-hmm. I was, when I was high, the, the depression or the, the, the mind, like my mind wouldn't wander. Um, it just made me feel n- number or more, maybe even I could say like at peace. And so I just took them then to just rid myself of the, the pain emotionally that was inside of me. That was the start. Um, you know, so yeah, that was the start of this. So we're looking, you're like 17, 16, yeah. 17, when yeah. you're dealing with all this. So I can only imagine being a young man 
at that time, being a teenager and dealing with all of these thoughts, did you have any idea what was going on? Or did you kind of, I know you said once you realized you were going to your grandfather's cabinet and taking his mm -hmm. medication, that there was a problem, but did you start to start to piece things together? I know hindsight is 2020, but did you start to piece things together that what is going on with this connection that this makes me feel okay when I'm taking this medication? Honestly, no, I, I don't think I, I was, I was obviously feeling some type of shame because I was, I wasn't telling anybody about it. I was hiding it. Um, but I don't remember. I think I just validated it. I think I can tell, can you tell myself, I don't have a problem that this is necessary, that this is the best thing for me right now. Um, I don't remember it ever being like this. Like I was, I was high all the time. Like, mm -hmm. How many pills um, were you taking about a day? Do you remember? I, I there was um, it was all different kinds, uh, but it would be so. Say it was like a, a Vicodin. It could be upwards of of six to seven throughout a day. Um, you know, it was just always all the time. And the more I had, the more I'd take. Right? It wasn't always readily available. It was getting harder and harder to find as I was no longer prescribed. But what happened again? Then I had multiple surgeries, and so. It's interesting. Um, this is one thing I, I do want to know. It's kind of the world we're living in right now, but it's really unfortunate and I can handle it. But um, I, I talked about this in the book and then somebody, some press uh, released the story about it and all the comments underneath, with, underneath it were terrible uh, about how, you know, uh, wasn't everybody addicted in high school and mm -hmm. oh, cool, Ben Higgins talking about his high school experience, trying to stay relevant. Um, what they don't realize, and, and maybe what doesn't make sense is that um, this is this wasn't just my high school experience. This still is a thing that I, I work through today. Right. Um, and also, I want to talk about this for anybody out there watching so they feel less alone, so that they know they're not walking through this alone. Because what happened was I had surgery in high school. I had surgeries uh, multiple times. And this lasted me um, up until my junior year of, of college. So this was a four-year struggle for me. Um mm. And, you know, college for me was, I graduated in 2012. That's 10 years ago. So this is still very fresh to me. This is still something that is not so distant in the past that I don't remember. This is still something that, that, I, that I'm, you know, now I'm talking about for the first time. So this is a big deal to me. And I know if anybody's out there watching, this is a big deal to them. And I just want to let you know, if anybody's, if you're feeling the, the, the noise about this, this is, this is something we can come together on and, and start speaking about. And, and, you know, talking about it, too, I think is so important because even I know previously when we were coming in and kind of talking about our conversation today, you said that you've had friends or you've been connected to people who have passed away from overdoses. So when people hear your story, that they need to be aware that there are people this is real. This isn't something that you're just, you know, on a publicity stunt. This is something that is real that you want to raise awareness about because you're seeing it around with people that you love and care about as well. Yeah. Oh man, it would, it would yeah. A publicity stunt would, this would be a really sickening way to do that. Right. Um, cause it's such a, a real deal. Yeah. In fact, um, this last week I lost one of my best friends from college to an overdose. Um, she was just the most beautiful human inside and out. And, uh, as I was talking to you, I was telling you, I was getting texts from her best friend who went to her service today, uh, and was just, you know, talking about the pictures from college and the things I've seen. And then I had, uh, my best friend in high school, They've lived with my family. He had a tough, tough go at it growing up. And uh, he passed away uh, from an overdose. He was my brother. I'm an only child. He was the closest thing to a brother I had growing up. And um, this is this is a very real thing, right? And I don't care how old you are. Um, this is this is a this is something that many people struggle with. I understand that, but it's something that 
that I, I hope we can feel less alone in so that we can start to heal and, uh, and talk about. Ben, what do you think are the misconceptions? Because like you said, you know, you started sharing more of your story and people were making comments that were negative. What do you feel is the misconception or the misunderstandings about people who are struggling? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would say the biggest one that stands out to me is um, that it's that it's a selfish act. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of times I hear it like how selfish is it of you to be doing this? Mm. Um, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. It, it, it's, it's not a selfish act. It's, it's oftentimes something that we, we walk into, that we fall into, that we can't control, that we don't even know is happening. I think that's one thing is, is when you see or hear or meet somebody that has, uh, uh, is addicted to something, uh, that you can't assume that this is because it's what they, they want to be doing. Right. Um, that's big. That's huge. Uh, I think the other thing is that maybe that the person has a problem. I, we know we can identify a problem, but that the human has a problem, that these are still beautiful souls. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful people who are, who are probably doing great things in the world. And if maybe whatever uh, things have happened where they're no longer, maybe they're, they're not their fullest version of themselves. They have the, the opportunity and the possibility of a future of doing great things for this world. Um, I think that's a misconception um, is that, uh, and then the final one is that uh, for me at least, is uh, I think the biggest misconception is as you speak about it, um, it won't be healing. As I spoke about it, as I'm speaking about it, it's been really healing. It's been really incredible. Um, It's helped me feel less alone. It it helps me uh, feel more connected. It also helps me, I think, have a seat at the table with others who are probably going through it and struggling and feeling a ton of shame and a ton of guilt and probably hiding a lot. But maybe now they can look at me and say, hey, like this is where I'm at. You You can relate, right? And I can say, I can, I'm not going to try to fix you. I don't have all the answers, but I can sit here with you and mourn with you and celebrate with you and be beside you because I've been there. Mm-hmm. That's something is that maybe the mixed conception there is that people don't want to help. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, you said just coming forward with your story, kind of first telling it in your book, how, you know, being on the bachelor opened you up to be more vulnerable. What was the reaction of the bachelor nation or people around you? Was it what you expected? And what was the response to you saying, Hey, I'm now coming forward, willing to share this, this, this very vulnerable part of my life. Yeah. I mean, I think overall it's been, um, it's the, the, there's incredible pieces that stand far beyond very much outweigh the negative. The negative is what I just said. It's been really weird to see negative response to the subject of addiction uh, and recovery. It's been really, it's been really saddening for me. Um, But, but at the same time, the bachelor world, I guess, in a weird way prepares you for that. It's a pretty negative space. Uh, And so in, in a sense, like, I'm glad that I'm the one that can somehow take some of that on because I think I've been prepped for it. Right. But the things that outweigh it is the incredible reaction from those who message me and, and share with me. And, and even the comments tonight that I'm being able to read um, of people who say, Hey, I, I me too. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I know somebody. Um, thank you. Uh, we're in this together. Uh, I'm hurting right now. I'm struggling in it. And, and I'm starting to recognize that like, I want to heal. I want to recover and, and thank you for helping me recognize it and start. Um, and maybe the coolest part is just the people that say, hey, you just made me feel less alone because the, this, the hardest part about being an addict is because you're hiding 
something that is so prevalent in your life. One of the hard, I can't say the hardest part, one of the hardest part that's so prevalent in your life and such a constant in your life. It's on your mind often all the time. It's in your body often all the time. Yet it's usually something that you're also hiding from the people that love you the most and that know you the best. And so it's very isolating. It makes you feel very alone if you want it to or not. And so I'm hoping with the book and maybe with the platform that I've been handed from a show is to be a voice from a distance that can just let you know and scream into you that you're not alone, that you're never alone in this. Um, that's something I wish I had. That's something I wish I would have heard, uh, I guess, is that I just wasn't alone because I felt alone, which made me hide it more, which added more shame and more guilt, uh, which made me walk down a path further this way instead of walking into some loving embrace of people that said, hey, I'm, I'm here for you. Mm -hmm. And knowing that, you know, letting people know they're not alone and knowing that that you've been there. What do you hope that someone who's struggling right now will take from that? I know you had to reach a point where you said you looked in mm -hmm. your mirror and you said, I need help. I Something's not right. So for someone who's struggling, what would be your words to them tonight in coming forward or even in seeking help? Yeah, um, I would say one, it's, it is scary. If you're feeling a lot of fear around it, I understand that. The second is I would identify a really safe space. Um, you know, if that's pr with professional help or if that's with people that you trust fully, um, you know, to, to then walk into that. I, I, I you know, I, I think for me, it's a little different, uh, right? I, I, I was handed this platform. I wrote a book I knew I was getting into. I had, I was surrounded by love already. Um, but I would just say, if you're out there listening to this, to, to, kind of find the place that you can be most vulnerable. Um, and then I promise that as you start to speak, there's going to be weight lifted. I don't, it's not going to heal everything, um, but it's going to be a weight lifted because it's out there. It's open. And then I'd also say this um, one thing that's a weird deal. I don't know. And you could correct me on this, but one thing I wish I would have known is that I didn't have to recover right away mm -hmm. because I thought I had to wait to the moment that I could say, okay, I'm done to start to recover and to start to heal. But I wish I would have known that, that I, there, there was maybe another option where I didn't have to wait until I was ready, but mm. I could have walked into it slowly saying, I'm recognizing that something's not okay, right? I just took a pill from my grandfather. I know something's not okay, but it was months after that, a year maybe that I finally said, I'm done. I wish at that moment I could have, I could have said something without people expecting me to like, just you know, put down the bottle and said, we're gonna walk alongside you. We're going to, we're going to always be here. Um, we're we're going to help you get the, the help you need. Um, I just felt like I had until I could confront it. I had to, I, I felt like I had to be ready to be done because I didn't want to say, Hey, I'm, I'm addicted and, and I'm not ready to stop. I, th I, that scared that, that those words scared me to, and I remember saying, thanking, I guess. So that's really interesting, Ben, that you said from the time you had that moment with your grandfather and the pills mm -hmm. to the time you finally sought help was a year. What changed between that time? I know you had this awakening that something was wrong, but what finally led you to get that help? Was there an experience and a moment, a thought? What was that? Well, I honestly, I think it was looking at myself in the eyes. I, I think, I mean, I, you know, th there was other things leading up to it, right? Like depression, spending 24 hours in bed. Um not being happy, uh, just finding very little joy in anything, uh, numbing myself at any moment I could. Those things were happening and I was identifying them uh, and knowing like as soon as like anxiety or pain started to set into my heart, I would find something and take it. And then and then it would numb. I don't think it would make it better. It would numb it. Um, 
but then it would come up again and come up again and come up again. And it was getting worse over time. It was getting harder over time to, uh, to, re to, to numb from. And then it was more and more pills because the more, the, the more I needed. And I think it was finally just looking at myself in the mirror after that 24 hours in my bed and saying, Hey, this is the man you want to be. And it was like this, like, no, it's not moment. Like, no. And, and as a result, you're going to do something about it now. And I don't know why I was ready in that moment. I can't tell you there was a lot leading up to it. I don't know why it happened then. Um, I, you know, because of my faith would, would say that it was one of the moments that God has interacted in my life in the, in the most loving of ways for those who don't have a faith. I think it was maybe what you could call just a, a reckoning, uh, a, an awakening um, to the, to the season of life I was in. I mean, this was four years. So this mm -hmm. was not like, this was not like a couple months on something. This was a four year change that I made at that moment and finally said, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Now, curious, did anybody, I know you said you were hiding it from family during that time. Did anybody ever come to you, suspect anything? Because I'm just wondering for parents or anyone who's, yeah. who's listening, were there people who saw anything or suspected anything? Or were you just that good at hiding it that nobody had any idea what was going on? Well, I have incredible parents, like the best of parents. I love them dearly and they love me dearly. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for them because they, they weren't around. Like I was in college for a lot of this, right? Um, and then when I had my knee surgery, uh, it was medically prescribed. So there was no, there was no concern there. I don't think they had any reason to ask. Um, there was there was conversations that we would have. I remember this though um, about how like dependent I was. I was like I and I would tell them like I feel like I'm dependent. Like I need I need my medication, and that concerned all of us. Um, but then I left for college. And because I, I had my knee surgery and then I had another medical issue. And so I was prescribed and I talked about in the book, I was prescri prescribed painkillers for nine months of my life, like had a prescription. And none of us really recognized then the problem that that would bring on. And so then I left for college and I was away from them. You know, my friends, um, to be honest, a lot of them had very similar struggles. Um, mm -hmm. And so it wasn't like something we talked about. It wasn't something like we got around and did, but it was it was always there. It was nothing that like was, it was, it was not taboo to, to be doing it. And so my, a lot of my friends, so there was never an issue to be brought up because all of us were struggling with it. And I think all of them, a lot of them would admit to, yeah, we had some, we had some problems. Mine just lasted a little longer and I think was a little bit more involved than most. Mm -hmm. So when you look back on that time and just warning signs that maybe someone could look out for yeah or a parent when you came home from for the holidays or anything, would there be anything that you would tell someone that could mm -hmm. be a clue? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it was, uh, I would, I would say irritability. Um, I was very irritable. Um, I was also very anxious. Uh, I had a lot of, of panic. Uh, I think also, um, a lot of like sleeping, um, and isolation. I would say those are the things, right? But sometimes, you know, you go, this is, it's a teenager. It's a teenager, that's. Yeah. Big. But I, I would just say, you know, maybe the, the note there would just be to, no, to, to bring in an open space of love and safety, just in case it's something more mm -hmm. um, so that that person could come to you and say, like, I, I am struggling. Um, and, and, and especially if it's your family, you want them to feel loved. You want them to know this is the safest of spaces. This is not a punishment. I'm not going to come down on you with more shame and guilt. I, you, I, I would tell you this, if anybody's out there watching, um, 
at least in my story, I already felt enough shame and guilt. I didn't need anybody else to add to that. I, I you know, I, especially towards the end, I already knew it was wrong. I, it, it just, that was not what I needed. It wasn't helpful. I didn't need to be told it was wrong. I didn't need people even to um, feel sorry for me because sometimes I felt like um, they felt sorry for me because they were scared for me. I'm sure they were scared for me and that makes sense. But what I needed is a loving embrace. Um, I needed my family like they came alongside of me when I finally was ready to start talking about it, who just said, like, we're here for you. This we, we were you're, we're going to work. We're going to get through this. Um, but I, I would say those are the signs in my life that I think probably could have been noticed as irritability, isolation, um, panic and anxiety um, and, and probably kind of shut off. Like I was I was always in high school, a very joy filled and outspoken mm -hmm. person. And, I, and And during those four years, I became very shut off. So just like that change in behavior, mm -hmm. kind of telltale sign. What is life like you for you today? I know as we're wrapping up, I also have some questions from the yeah. audience that we want to get to that we asked Instagram followers of yours that wanted to ask you. But what is life like today? Is it something that you that is still in the back of your mind for someone who wants to understand what your journey is like at this point? Yes. Um, and, and again, I don't even know if this is helpful. Um, and I don't want to say anything. It's not, but I just have to speak to my story, but like, it is still something that is on my mind. It, you know, somebody asked me the other day on an interview I was doing, um, how it feels to be recovered. And I said, I, it feels good, but like, I know I could easily slip back into it. Mm -hmm. And so I have to stay healthy. I have to implement things in my life and boundaries in my life to stay healthy, to be and, and to surround myself with people that, that I know as soon as I would fall back into it, that I could start to say like I'm struggling and that it would be a safe place for me. Um, I, I would say that like personally, since that time, right, there's been a lot of joys and this is a, a joy for me that now I'm able to speak about this and share about it and, and surround myself with people who are either struggling or know somebody struggling or just very interested in this battle and like have a seat at the table to talk about it. That's a, that's a joy to me now. It's something I never thought I would doing. Even watching your beginning segment here was kind of weird. Like, it's like, um, this is me. Like, yeah, <laughs> like that's weird. Like it, it's just odd. And so, um, but it, it, it's, I, I would say this, I only say this to hopefully it's helpful for somebody out there listening is if you are recovered, but yet you still feel the desire and need me too. Um, now, I have been sober for for eight years, uh, nine years um, from painkillers, uh, but it, it's still sometimes a battle, and I gotta I gotta fight, and I gotta implement boundaries and, and tools in my life to keep me healthy because I want to be healthy. I know I know what life looks like when I when I don't numb myself, um, and I like that life, and I want to stay on that. But it's still it's still something that I battle with, um, and I just say that so hopefully somebody watching is like, man, I'm I'm falling back into these thoughts. It's like, well. Yeah, so are, so are somebody else. And, and, and that doesn't make you um, a bad human. It doesn't mean that you failed. It just means that you're, you're on it. You're in it. You're grinding. You're battling. You're working. And that's a beautiful battle and one that I would encourage anybody to continue on. Speaking of things to be excited about, Ben, <laughs> first that? of all, you had a birthday yesterday. So happy birthday. You. Yes. Thank and to you. be in this place in your life, I can only imagine. But also... We know that you are getting ready for a wedding. 
Yeah. So tell us, I could not have you on here because as you talked about, it, it reminds you that there's something to look for. There's something happy experience, yeah. as you mentioned, but people want to know how are things going with you in terms of wedding plans and what's next for you? Wedding plans are a big deal. Uh, our wedding has been pushed back a year too. So we're getting married this November, which is super exciting. Uh, that's something awesome. I'm the best, I have the best fiance. And again, I have the best family. I'm very, very lucky. Uh, they have been so supportive. We're all celebrating this year um, that, you know, I get to, to get married. This is something that I, I'm very excited for, very, feel very at peace about. Maybe it's, it's like someone's people ask me, how do you feel about getting married? Like, I just feel very you at got, peace You don't have the, that nervous feeling the guys say that cold feet or anything I like that? I might when it gets closer. Uh, not cold feet. I just feel very at peace about it. Like I'm excited for it. I'd marry tomorrow if I could or yesterday maybe. Um, but, uh, that's a big deal. You know, the book was a big deal. It's a two year process for me. Um, finally is out as of, Mar uh, February 2nd. Uh, and then, um, and then, you know, I work for a company called generous international, which is keep my, you know, it's a for profit company and I get to run it, uh, with my buddy Tyler. And, uh, we, uh, we donate hundred percent of the profits to nonprofits and social causes around the world, fighting human facing injustice. We sell coffee. That's our thing. Um, so uh, you can go to generouscoffee.com and, and check it out. But yeah, so life's busy. It's fun. It's exciting. A lot of good things. Well, I just want to end with a few last questions yep. um, from our audience. One of the questions was, how does this your struggle with addiction play a role in your relationships now? And to piggyback on that, when did you tell your fiance, Jen, Jess, about this, actually? Uh, I think I told Jess very early on. I don't remember the exact moment. Um but I, I'm, I'm sure at some point, you know, we did long distance. And so we talked on the phone all the time. Uh, and so at some point you kind of like dive into the, the nitty gritty of life. And, and I wanted her as I knew that this was somebody special to know my story. Um, that was important for me, for her to know my story, for me to know hers and, and for her to accept my story and live in her, my story with me. And we did the same to her. Um, my relationships. Oh, I'd say like one of the best parts for me now as somebody that's, um, you know, able to, to talk about it is the empathy that it's got, uh, grown inside of me. Like it, I have no judgment towards people yeah. who are struggling. Like I, it's not a thing in my life because I know, uh, I know what it's like, but what it has done is like this, uh, this like, oh, it's odd, like this refreshing empathy. That's like, I just want to sit with you in that because I know it sucks. I know it's not ideal. I know at this point, you're not even maybe ready to move on from it, but like, I just want to let you know, you're not alone in that. That is how it's enhanced my relationships. And then that empathy, once you start like practicing that, it kind of like flows over to other parts of life and other mm -hmm. people's problems and other people's issues. Not even when you talk about like substance abuse um, or addiction, you're talking about like other life stuff that like maybe isn't fun to talk about. Uh, it, it's flown into that, flowed into that. And so uh, it, that's how it's impacted me now, which I think would be a twist on like, hey, taking something that was not very great in my life and a season mm -hmm. that wasn't a lot of fun and one that I don't look back on uh, and think like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I did it. But like now it's looking at it with like, oh, this, this has been used for good. Mm -hmm. It's why also I can speak here and like not really feel any shame because like it's been used for good, which wow. I hope it continues to be used for good. I love that. You talk about just being able to be used for good and just the empathy and all of the things that have come from that. So that is just powerful. And I hope somebody learns that out of all of that you're going through, that even the lowest point in your life right now, that there is hope on the other side mm -hmm. of it. And the people that love you the most are going to be there and support you. And so I'm going to get to two more questions. Um, 
what have you found has been the most supportive in your life? What I know you talked about that there are boundaries and things like that, but I believe the question is asking what has been the support system or the support mm -hmm. or mechanisms that you've set up in your life to help you not go down that path again? Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, one is I'm very careful uh, for what I put in my body. Um, that's, that's one very obvious thing, right? Like, um, it's just not necessarily something that I want to even flirt with anymore, even though it's been years. Um, the second is I exercise. Um, that's a huge deal when panic and those feelings that are, I don't love come up, I exercise. It's been a mm -hmm. healthy outlet for me. Um, I also, you know, have surrounded myself with really great friends, uh, who love me and know me. My family loves me and knows me. Um, I feel safe in those environments. And finally, you know, my faith is incredibly important to me. I don't just believe in Jesus because I think it's a good idea. I believe in Jesus because I think there's a God that loves us and that called us to love others and love God. And that gives us purpose and, 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 and value. And so as a result, um, sometimes I just got to speak those words into me. Like I have purpose, I have value. Um, I have an impact. And I think maybe if I were to share that with anybody out there listening is like, even if those words feel like super corny and you're like, ah, that's nice for you, Ben. Like maybe just start practicing that, especially if you're hurting right now, is just start speaking to yourself that you have purpose, you have value, you are love. Um, and repeat that in yourself and believe it's true because I can promise you it is. Like you have breath. Right. The fact you have breath is a miracle. Like you're on this earth and all those things were swirling around the sun and all those things are happening. Like you are existing on this earth. That is so incredible. And that is not something that I want to take for granted. So mm -hmm. speaking that over yourself and it encourages me, it helps me then finally, I'll say, um, to confront pain in a different way, uh, and not try to numb myself from it, but sometimes walk into it and try to learn from it and understand what good can come from it and what I'm learning in the process of pain, not to be so scared of it anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. and to know that when I walk into it, there is a path on the other side. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important. And I'll just end on this because, and maybe there's just a final word from you. But when you think about knowing that you have value, I even think about the name of your book, Alone in Plain Sight, because sometimes people think just because you're famous and just because you have a platform that yeah. you don't still struggles with struggle with insecurities or feeling like I'm enough. And yeah. so I just, if there was anything, lastly, even on that, as we end with you tonight, Ben, you know, letting people know that you also still have those thoughts and you have to, it's a renewing of your mind daily, I'm sure, to get through it. Yeah. Well, let's, let's remind everybody of how I became known. Uh, I was handed a platform. This is not me to be self-deprecating. I was handed a platform on a reality television show to go and date people. This has no tangible skill set that allowed me to do this. I have no work put in, no practice put in, no pride, nothing accomplished that got me to that place. Now, there are things about it and how the platform has been used and I'm very proud of that I have a lot of ownership in. But to become known was not something that I have a lot of pride in. Also, you have to remember that I lived a lot of my life without being publicly known. Um, this is a new thing for me, five and a half years. Uh, you know, It's a small piece of my life. Uh, and so as a result, you have to understand that a lot of this was happening way before any of this was like a part of my life and way before I ever thought I would go on a bachelor, I'll go on the bachelor and become known. And so what I would say is I, I would hope I say all that to say, hey, I'm with you all watching. Like, I don't know where everybody's out, you know, in their life watching this, but like uh, if you're feeling at your worst right now, I've been there. I, I can relate with you. I can sit in that. I know it's hard, but I also know what it feels like to start to try to breathe again, to start to try mm -hmm. to rise again, to start to try to renew again. Because if I had one message for people out there, one message, I don't have a lot of advice. I don't have a lot of expertise and stuff, like I said, 
But what if I had one message for you, it's that you do matter, uh, that you do have a purpose, that you do have breath, that you're here for a reason. I believe that, that you are loved, that you are cared for. Even if you're doubting all of those things right now, I believe that to be true. And so you have to start to renew yourself into that truth and to know that as humans, we have a ton of responsibility and value on this earth. And I, and I hope everybody out there watching can be their best and full selves um, and not sit back in a place of untruth, which is that the, the questioning of everything. Oh, that was so good, Ben. And I just want to thank you for, first of all, being so transparent with us tonight, for sharing your story. You can see people writing in uh, cool. about your openness and all of that. So I just want to thank you for that tonight. And, you know, we're going to check out your book. You said it's alone in plain sight. People can get it anywhere. People can follow you. I go ahead. Yeah, alone in plain sight, a powerful story. He shares, like you said, you share more about your journey and, you know, your life and just what you've been through. So, Thank you tonight for being here and to all of your fans out there. Let's give them a wave. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. See you guys. Thank you for joining. That's awesome. Okay. Well, everybody, thank you for joining us and join us again for another episode of Addiction Talk.